Hello there, and welcome back to Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts, Justin and Kayla. And we are here for a movie review week, specifically rescue movies, but we cannot go another pod, Kayla, without talking about the Survivor finale first. We're recording this on December 23rd. We watched the finale this week, three hours. I am just wanting to get my thoughts out right now. So spoiler alert for Survivor season 45 finale. Yeah, so if anything comes out in the next two weeks, it's because we are recording it at that date you stated. So uh, by the time you guys all hear this. So Survivor, spoilers, here we go. We know that D won. Um, Justin, how'd you feel about D winning? Were you, were you ha- satisfied with that in the final three? So I was, uh, I was pretty much thinking or hoping Austin would win most of the way. I thought D is a, a good winner. Not like the last few seasons where I've been pretty pissed with the people that have won, but the thing that pissed me off and I'm sure you have thoughts on it as well is D should not have made it to the final three. What the hell are you doing? Katura? you're killing me and my boy Jake here. What the hell? Just she changed. She guarantees her spot in the final three pretty much if she just sticks to her word and votes out D. Jake tries to make another big move, gets screwed over again. Guy just couldn't catch a break the whole season. I just was very entertaining. You to know watch what? Though, I've realized that I tend to be the person that roots for the underdog, and you're looking for the one that has generally like some sort of resume building items at least up to this point i will say we we seem to have a reversal where i do get to see that tender soft heart of yours rooting for poor jake who truly did not come even came close i guess a couple times but could not win a challenge truly just sat in pity (laughs) the majority of every week in sadness and tears so i love i love that you had a jake turn a bit towards the end and i understand why because Holy hell, where you kind of sit in there and go, Jake, please, just let Jake get one thing, please. And the thing with with Jake that I, I really kind of admired about him is he would have his crying sessions. He'd be down on himself, but he would kind of flip a switch and he'd try to be the happy guy. Like he'd be like, all right, let's turn it around. Let's make it happen. And unlike other people in the past that I've kind of rooted against, he tried. He really like was on the bottom the whole time and he was trying to make moves. He was like, okay, I'm going to switch the votes. And then somebody would back out on him at the last second, or they switch the vote to him and he somehow gets saved. And when he tries to make that big move at the end where he swore on his Nana, as we heard many times that, Hey, I'm, I'm protecting you. I am voting D I have this idol. I'm going to use it. We are making it to final four. So he did not straight up tell Katura I'm saving you, but He tried to kind of let her know without throwing it all out there so he could have that big moment. And I understand that because he didn't have much else to work on. So he needed a real big moment to separate himself from others. And, and it was, I mean, when he played it for her on the final vote, like you're not playing it for yourself on the final vote. That's such a ballsy move. And the way she jumps up screaming, no, no, no. You knew immediately She did not stick to her part of the plan and it screwed it over. And he was just so defeated one last time. And I just wanted to cry for the guy, honestly. Honestly, I think we all did. It was so sad. I I did understand Katura. Katura's fear, especially at like that close to the end, and you're starting to think of resumes and and all of that stuff. But man, I I too like Jake wanted that moment where D just got completely upended. I will say once we knew that D was gonna stay, I was like D's gotta cinch this to the end. And I gotta say at the end, Tribal Council, there were a lot of soft serves, but I loved watching Austin and D just totally like. And thankfully put some of their relation aspects to the side and just fucking ding each other on all of these things. Of course, the highlight for me was when Dee revealed that she did tell Julie after Austin just said, how did he like, not and know she that? didn't tell Julie. Ugh. So, I mean, he really, he really looked like a fool. I got to say, and she was so smart to save that information. And I really think that's what kind of brought her over the edge to Austin question for you. Do you yep. think if it came down to it for Austin, would he have picked Drew over D? Their bromance seemed pretty strong. He was pretty heartbroken that Drew got blindsided. I think he would have taken D because mm-hmm. people would have taught. The thing is, people were tying him to Drew and to D, and yeah. it was a weird situation there. But 
him and Drew were making these moves together and D it was more of just the relationship aspect, less of like the strategic planning together. So I think he would have brought D and Drew would have respected it as a move. But in the the final tribal where they're asking all the questions, my dude, Jake, you got to speak up more, man. Even like Caleb and Emily were trying to help him be like, you were on the bottom. Like you, you did a lot to stay here. Like, you know, speak up for yourself. And he just, he, I think he was so down on himself for how everything that happened. He did not believe he deserved to win. So he felt weird kind of chiming in being like, he should have went to, you guys were in a alliance that dominated the whole season. Your team kept winning. You never had, you didn't have to go to as many tribals as me. You were never on the bottom. You didn't have to work and claw to stay here without having all of these idols and all of these relationships. I had to pop around. I had to strategically pick who I was talking to, but he did not talk himself up enough in that final. And, and it comes down to just his mental state at that moment. He was just defeated and done. He was. I won't say he was broken because he had been so low and pulled himself out of it. And that is what he talked about a lot. I think he should have just tried, like, what is this show called? Survivor, right? And no one had to survive harder than I did in all these moments. But unfortunately, like, as much as they do show a lot of sympathy on the jury's faces and you do almost go, are they just going to say fuck it and vote for Jake? Um, well, that's what they just, did the last few seasons. They went for the person that I'm watching, like, oh, they have no chance. And then they but won. I, but honestly, I think it was so even across where you were yeah. like, I guess I'll go with the person I liked more because, and people made so many stupid plays to get people out. Like I just was, uh, and they never did any of the survivor whispering too. I noticed at any of the tribal councils, you know, they're like. All making yeah, get rid of that. Together. The tribal councils were like 10, 15 minutes. We didn't have these 20, 30 minute tribal councils like past seasons. Thank goodness. We got in, you know, Drew, you know, did his whole like high oh. horse thing every time. I'm so uh, glad he Jake had to sit quiet. His words. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's telling Katura she should be a lawyer, even though she is one, you know, all of these kind of things kept the tribals pretty interesting. And, and I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. The thing that uh, like kind of moved it towards D slightly was her revealing mm-hmm. to Austin in that final moment. Oh no, I did tell Julie. And that is the reason I'm here because if I didn't, she's gone and you're maybe you take drew instead. So yeah, it was a good was move inter- by her part. Yeah. It was, do you know if they're still together? I didn't look that up. I, didn't I, see I have not they... looked that up either. I just, I think with D's game, my only kind of pushback was, in that group, Austin and Drew were making a lot of the strategic decisions, mm-hmm. but D won when she needed to win. You know, she knew her name came up, you know, Katura makes that mistake and she wins immunity. Like she earned her spot there. And I don't think she did a great job of honestly telling how good of a game she did. She kept saying like, yeah, I was in this alliance, like, but I strategically stayed in this alliance and tried to save them. And Austin was trying to hammer home. I was making the moves. I was winning things. I was the one who, but she was so good because he, I love it when he would like, he would say all that. Right. And then he's like, no, actually I was the one. Like, I just love that. They were like both of them going back and they were like, forget what we have chemistry. We have going on. Um, let's, let's just fucking, it's, we we want to win. Exactly. And I really felt like they really tried. They weren't pulling any punches anything like that. So I, I kind of was hoping they would make out after they, after D one, <laughs> I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great season of survivor. I really hope we keep this momentum going into season 46, which I think they already have a preview for, but I think yep. we'll start till March. Um, but amazing stuff. February. It's coming out. February oh my God. <laughs> premiere too soon. We, we need more time off. Kayla. We certainly do. Um, oh my God. Love it. Survivor. Okay. Shall we get into our rescue theme movies? Here we go. Justin, was it hard for you to pick a rescue movie to give to me? Honestly, not really. I looked at some list and uh, texted you and you said you haven't seen the one I gave you, Argo, (laughs) which is a best picture winner. And I really enjoyed it when I saw it. So it's pretty simple for me. But uh, I think you had a little bit of a difficult task. I had an extreme difficult task of trying to find a rescue movie because I don't know. I thought there was a larger pool. I think when I had kind of thrown that topic into our, our mixed bag, because 
um, when it really came down to looking for them, especially because we had to say, again, it had to be a plot mechanism. It couldn't be like there was a rescue at some part in the movie. The, the goal of the movie had to be a rescue. I mean, even the current latest rescue movies like The Covenant we've seen together. So there were just so many movies that I know you had seen versus me. I was kind of looking at the list going, haven't seen it, haven't seen it um, for sure. So when we talk about rescue movies, because both of our movies were in fact based on a true story, I'd given you 13 lives. Are the best rescue movies made up or are they based on a true story? Do you have a preference either way? Because you've certainly seen the apocalyptic, the rock type of, you know, San Andreas type rescue movies. And then, you know, you have the ones that actually, when you're watching them, you're like, this really happened. Do you have a preference? I do. I like the ones that are based on true stories. I just, I think it gives you more of an emotional connection to the movie where you're tied in like this shit actually happened. And I know I've said it a lot of times on this podcast, but I love realism in the movies. I love being able to kind of try to conceptualize if this happened in real life, how would I handle this scenario? And you also kind of, you get to learn about these historical incidents or situations that occurred. Well, Usually the directors are uh, taking liberties to make it more entertaining and watch watchable. So it's not like you're watching an old dry documentary. You're getting the entertainment aspect. And in my mind, personally, it helps me remember those types of situations when I'm more locked in and excited about it, as opposed to if I'm just reading through something or watching a straight up documentary. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I feel like I do lean more towards the fictional as far as like the list of movies I've seen. Well, you're Fast and Fur Furious one. So, I mean, there you go. There is always a rescue <laughs> in there. And why is it always my girl, Letty? I don't know. Let her take a W, please. Um, I don't know. I just think that those tend to be the more kind of ridiculous movies, especially I feel like lately the past five, 10 years, they're like always about global warming or the world ending or some sort of event happening. And you have to get to your family, right? It's always your family. That's like halfway across your wife and kids or whatever. So those are usually like visually the most interesting, right? All the like different ways, like your icons, your landmarks, like go away with whatever, you know, events happening in that moment. But I've seen a lot of those movies. Yeah, so it is kind of an interesting dynamic with us where I, I like the more realism. You like the more fictional base to kind of draw you in. And I think that's kind of what makes us a good uh, podcast duo here, Kayla. We like different things, but we're open to seeing things from the other person's perspective. Oh, that's so nice. I know. <laughs> nice I'm a nice say, person wow. It's the holidays when we're recording this, Kayla. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. Okay, okay, that checks out. That checks out. <laughs> that being said, we both gave each other movies based on real events. So We did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Because you saw you saw all the fictional ones I wanted. Um, brutal. Okay. But these were, well, I guess we'll tell each other if they were good films. So, spoiler alert. Um, you can catch Argo that Justin gave me. It's available to rent and buy. Justin was nice enough to load me his Blu-ray. Thank you, physical, physical media. Physical media, baby. Let's go. Woo -woo. Um, and then I gave you 13 Lives, which is available on Prime. So I think we did talk a little bit about why you gave, we gave each other these films. I will say of the few that I pool, I did have to pick from. I had heard a lot about 13 Lives before we picked this theme. And so I was like, you know what? This is a movie I had been wanting to see and kind of forgot about. So it just kind of felt like this is a good opportunity to kind of kill two birds with one stone, you know? Yeah, and it's not honestly not a movie that was on my radar, but as soon as I read the description, I was like, oh, I remember that story happening a few years ago, and I did not realize kind of the names that were involved in this movie, but I think we both gave ourselves some pretty solid options, Kayla. Justin, do you want to start us off with your review of 13 Lives? I would love nothing more, Kayla. All right, 13 Lives came out last year, 2022, directed by Ron Howard, written by William Nicholson and Don McPherson. It is a nice two hours and 27 minutes, uh, another long one, which has been a theme for a while now. And just quick uh, one-sentence summary of the movie, it's a rescue mission in Thailand for a group of young boys and their soccer coach who got trapped in a flooded cave system. So I think as we talk about the movie, people will start remembering that story coming up because I believe it was 2018, so five years ago at this point. And it was like a lot in the news because they were in there for quite a while. 
Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it had 85 on Rotten Tomatoes. This was direct to Amazon Prime, so no real big uh, how it did in the uh, the box office. Budget-wise, it was about $55 million to make. And it has a pretty, pretty good cast. It's got Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell are kind of the leads. Then Joel Edgerton shows up. You have Paul Gleason and uh, Tom Bateman as well. So it, it's uh, got an interesting cast for this type of movie, Kayla. As far as uh, fun facts, I don't really think there's very many fun facts when you're talking about a uh, based on a true story situation where a whole bunch of uh, young children were in danger. So not really much to uh, to report on that front. But one thing that they note at the end of the movie that I thought was interesting that after kind of the conclusion of the movie, that cave system was completely submerged and flooded for eight straight months, which kind of when I go into my review, will give you a little bit more of the intensity involved with this rescue mission because they would not have been able to even attempt anything a few days later. So are you ready to count me down, Kayla? Oh, yeah. Let's go. And three, two, one. Thailand boys soccer team celebrating victory take bikes to a cave for fun. One of the kids' birthdays where all the families are gathered together. The kids don't show up. Crazy storm hits. Parents freak out and go to the cave. It's flooded. They get governor and Navy SEALs involved. They can't reach the kids. Oh, no. After a few days, they get British cave rescue team involved. Thousands of volunteers everywhere. One group is diverting water from the tops above. They find the kids after a seven-plus-hour journey. The the, uh, British rescue team on day 10. What the hell? They've been in there 10 days, but they're still alive. Yay. Oh, wait. They can't actually get them out yet. They keep going back to give them uh, more supplies, but they can't find a way to get them out. They're not equipped to do a six-hour dive to get out of the caves volunteer navy seal dies trying to save them british guys called dr harry crazy idea of knocking them out and carrying them out like packages what the hell everybody says absolutely not no other options though so they eventually go with that option they bring in more cave rescue divers they keep noting this one guy is younger chris he's clearly going to fuck up at some point can't find small enough mass for uh kai in the cave oh no is he going to die chris does fuck up as predicted but they do find a mass for kai everybody gets out safe somehow dr harry finds out his dad dies cave gets fully submerged for eight months after stateless kids and coach guard granted citizenship the end 102. Damn it. So close. So close. There's a lot when, in there. When there I practice before I come on, I'm at like 52 <laughs> seconds. I had 10 seconds because I just get into it and I start remembering more yes. things. You know, Kayla? Yes. I totally Brutal. get it. Totally so, get it. So, yeah, I think I, uh, I pretty much nailed it there. You got this boys soccer team who gets stuck in a cave that's flooded. And where they get stuck, it takes rescue divers a real long time to even figure out how to find the kids. Nobody knows if they're alive for the first 10 days. So they're like, they've been in there without food, without supplies for 10 days. They're probably dead. We're probably going to be pulling out bodies. And then they finally get this uh, old guy. Vern is like, let me reach out to these British cave rescue team because they deal with this. And the Navy seals are more like open water base. So they're not as equipped for these tight constrained spaces and, and how to maneuver and conserve their oxygen. So that was a pretty interesting kind of, I guess, political dynamic between the two where you can see the governor who we should say is getting ready to uh, be kicked out of office and they just kind of kept him on the situation. So he could be the fall guy in the end. So they all get out safely. So, you know, props to him. But he has, like, got nothing to lose. So he's like, bring in the British guys, bring in the Navy SEALs. Like, we're going to do whatever we can to save these kids. And and it just was a really nice story. It's, it's like, sometimes you just want to watch these high-intensity movies that have good endings. So you can just have faith in humanity again, Kayla. And that's where I was. Because I remember the story vaguely but i couldn't remember how many got out or if all of them got out alive so there was a i knew some did so there was a little bit of mystery there where i was like man are some of these kids gonna die they're injecting them with ketamine to knock them out and carry them out unconscious through a six hour submerged cave how is that even an option like who comes up with that idea to save them and it fucking worked i just your first time watching this movie, did you kind of know everything that was uh, how this turned out? Or were you a little bit more on the outs like me? 
So I remember the story like you, I, I, I didn't remember how they got them out. Like, I guess in my mind, they, you know, they dove through the water and I know it was very like tricky, but I didn't know they like drugged them to keep them unconscious so that they wouldn't basically panic. And, uh, and that happens all the time. I know lifeguarding, I'm sure your wife can attest to this. Like a lot of times you have to be conscious of people panicking and then drowning both of you, um, like in your rescue mission. So I think the fact that they were a team saved their lives too. And I think that came across in the movie because if these were just boys who didn't know each other, I think I I can't imagine as a coach, as the one adult with them at the time, like I give him all the kudos and props and honestly for keeping their mentality up their safety. I'm sure their fear when they sat in the dark, I mean, they had to preserve their flashlights. Thank God they had, and just sit in the dark and be scared boys, you know, they're so young. And so for him to like teach them how to meditate. And I think that comes from already knowing, knowing each other, trusting each other, working together and having, and looking at the coach as that adult that kind of like keeps them together versus like say a random parent that maybe had to keep a hold of all those boys. He was a young coach too. This wasn't yes. like, you know, a 40 year old right. guy who's been coaching kids. Like he was a little bit older than them, maybe early twenties or so. And one of the coolest scenes or most like heartwarming scenes is they're passing letters back and forth from the parents to the kids so that they can have this communication and have this hope to get out. And when the coach is reading his letters, like I'm almost tearing up thinking about it, he just starts bawling. He's like, I, I thought they would hate me. Like their kids are stuck in here. Like I, I thought everybody would hate me, but they're just so glad that everybody's safe and they're like thanking me for like looking after their children in this situation and and just to kind of see his face and know that he did the right thing and he is the reason that these kids kind of stayed together and were able to you know weather it out for you know multiple like two weeks they were in they find them on day 10 right which is by the way, 45 minutes into the movie, we'll talk about the length of the movie here. They find the boys on day 10 and they're alive. And then we have another, you know, two hours in this movie almost essentially. So they, uh, they still have to, even though they found them, they can't get them out. And like you said, people panic in those situations if they're not familiar with how to properly do those types of dives. And the one scene they added in to kind of like hammer that home earlier is there was a worker there who was uh, pumping water out of the cave and they had to get him out for a very quick, like five minute dive through a little system. And he freaked out. He pulled the mask. He's almost drowning. One of the, uh, the rescue divers, Vigo Mortensen's character, Rick. And I think at that point is what clicked to them. Like shit, there's no way we're going to get 13 or 12 boys and their coach who are not familiar in this type of diving at all. They haven't had food or seen light really in like 10, 12 days at this point, there's no way they're going to be able to keep their composure for seven hours to get out of this cave. So, I mean, I was very intrigued when they're like, Oh, we need to call in Dr. Harry. It's his area of expertise. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Dr. Harry? Like then he shows up and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm not as good of a diver as you, but thanks for bringing me on. I'm, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to volunteer. They're also like, you also know how to knock dudes out. So can we just drug the shit out of these kids? Like, I know that's crazy, but they're going to die if we don't. So what are we doing here? It was I just mean, it's such like, a cool yeah. kind of process. <laughs> it's like a rescue mission on both sides. I'm like the coaches part to keep them in good spirits and alive. I mean, as an aunt of only nephews, it's hard to think of just this like group of small boys. like, And they're starving. Like their first thing is like, when are we getting saved? And then it's do you have anything to eat? And I was just like, Oh my God, I wish you just like that first time they saw them. I'm like, I wish you just packed all your pack, your pockets of food. I mean, and then like the coach having to pick what kids were going to go first. And then to sit when they're like, are we going today? And they're like, he's like tomorrow. Like that's gotta be so hard to kind of keep them in those spirits. And then honestly, shout out to the people that have all these kind of hobbies or like certain things like, cave diving for example like i'm sure that's like also like a fun thing not just rescue they've had a lot of rescues but i'm sure like in their personal time they also just spend time like exploring caves around the world and like learning like and look at what it did you know you saved all these boys so it's just it's like amazing how certain people's like abilities and interests and all of that can like really come into play 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it ends up being essentially a team of five plus some Navy SEALs that help them out to get these boys out. And they come over from pretty much all across the world. A lot of British uh, kind of influence with their cave rescue team here. It just, it was a really nice story to watch. And I think they did a good job of, you know, adding in those moments of this is serious. This is difficult to do. Like we mentioned with the one guy panicking, the other with, unfortunately, the passing of a volunteer, former Navy SEAL who showed up to help. And he's going in and he's going through a stalactite tunnel, uh, D&D there now uh, helps you remember that. And he gets his, uh, his oxygen kind of gets tangled up in the stalactites and he can't get it back on in time and, and drowns just alive in the tunnel and they see his body and have to pull it out. And that's an experienced Navy SEAL diver. And it just shows you how serious and dangerous this situation is, which just puts more on this rescue team and how they were able to kind of pull this out going through these tight spaces while carrying a child, knowing that they need to, they're tying, they were tying their feet up, they're tying their hands up, they're putting the, um, the water bottles on their feet so that it stayed kind of elevated and their feet didn't fall down, which was a smart move. And they're trying to protect the child while treating it like treating them like packages. So they're like shimmying them through, but trying to protect their faces, trying to hold their oxygen mask together. Well, every hour or so they had to re-inject them with this ketamine to keep them knocked out because it would wear off after like 45 minutes to an hour. And if they wake up, and you don't hit them right away, they are going to freak out immediately. And that ruins the entire mission. And they're probably going to die. And they may like threaten your lives as well. So, so many pieces are going into that. They even show the one guy drops the the needles and he's panicking like, oh, I need to grab these. It, it's little things like that. I have to hold this, this child. I'm trying to make sure they're surviving. I also have to pull these needles out. I need to inject them all while you're in a pitch black cave system essentially besides your little lights on your helmet it's just remarkable that uh we have people that can perform like these types of rescues Kayla do you remember when we were in middle school elementary school I know as soon as I go back to our childhood you're like no I don't remember um that we used to have like scuba diving days where they would like let us I do remember that in the pool yep yes I I I mean, not to brag, but I'm sure I was on some news station because I did one of those cheesy, like, showing that we were doing scuba diving at our our, um, elementary school. And so I had to do this thing with a reporter where we both like, and now back to you. And then we like went to the water. It was a whole thing. Someday I'll find that footage. (laughs) Are we sure that exists, Kayla? I I I don't know. It could have just been a dream. It could have been a dream. All right, listen, and we were doing it in a elementary school pool, and that was difficult scuba diving. So I'm just going to say very hard to do what they did <laughs> as uh, the pro that I am um, in a pool. So props to just the event. For sure. And I just want to give like a shout out to the whole meeting. It takes a village. That was literal in this case. They had thousands of volunteers. They had... There was a uh, water engineers, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer. So I'm always going to look out for the engineer in the, in the movie here, he shows up and he doesn't even like talk to the rest of the people for a while. He's just like, I'm just going to figure this out my damn self. And he's talking to people that are familiar with the mountain range and familiar where all these sinkholes are that are, are what are really driving the water into the cave. Cause it's raining. It's like basically monsoon season hit early. There's only so much that's coming in through the ground level that you can pump out. That's not, that can only do so much. The main effort is the stuff that's coming in through, through the top, like he said, and he's working with all these villagers, all these volunteers to get pipe systems in place to divert the water around. And I believe it was something like 56 million gallons. They were able to divert from the mountain. And you have to believe that that has to be a huge part in what saved these kids lives. Cause if that water level rises too much more, they don't have any else place to go. And one of my favorite scenes is when they're like, we're out of pipes. What are we going to do? And you got the old timer timer walks by with a machete, chops down a uh, piece of bamboo, and then just rips it in half with the machete. He goes, pipe, here you go. And they just start cutting down all this bamboo to use as a pipe system, which is really smart to do. And they got approval from all of these, all of these uh, locals that they use those fields for their crops and that's their livelihood. That's their, that's how they survive. And they were on the same page as if there's a chance that we can save these boys, 
flood out our our fields. We'll figure it out, but let's worry about the kids right now. And it's cool to see all these people from different walks of life kind of coming together. And and then at the end, they had some of those uh, those place cards that said the government did uh, basically give uh, give funds and grants to the people that allowed their floods to be allowed their fields to be flooded to help them for the the following season. So it's nice to see that it kind of all all came full circle for them as well. I agree. It was a really interesting story. I don't know if you touched on kind of the length of a a lot of the film, like when it gets to, I think the scuba diving is so interesting. I mean, we've been in caves together. Um, It's, it's really hard to imagine even when you're walking on like flat surface, let alone in the water, um, how one move is just instant death or actually slow death, right? A slow drowning. So um, I just think the parts where they were just figuring out the plans and dealing with the governmental issues of like, who has authority here? Um, it was, should we make this plan? I don't think so. What about who's going to be in it? Like those tended to take the most time. You're we kind of sitting around like, all right, let's we get to something, you know, a half hour out of this movie, I think. And it, it would have paced a little bit better and and they probably wanted to give their due to all of the different organizations that were involved as part of it, but it definitely was a, a little bit on, on the long end. I did like, uh, cause it is tough to kind of get your bearings when you're watching, they're diving through these caves besides like the stalactite tunnel. It's like, where are they? How far are they in? They did have a cool kind of mapping feature that they'd sh- throw on every so often where it kind of like zooms out three dimensionally and it shows the path and it says six hours of diving time in and, the kids are 10 hours away. And so they did a pretty good job of trying to kind of locate you where they are in the cave at certain situations, which is smart. Cause otherwise you're like, they're just diving in darkness. Like, where are they? How far are they from the kids? Did they just dive in? Or have they been in there for eight hours? So I think that was a, a smart, smart move on uh, the director's part. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that doc. I really love free solo where they're showing like the different parts of the mountain as he's tra- traversing it, you know, kind of through. So, you know, like, yep. oh, he's hit this point and this point. I like it when they do that also with like time specific things, meaning like they have 12 hours to get this done. So they're doing like usually like an hour countdown as the movie progresses. I do like that because it kind of shows where you're at, the stakes, the anticipation of like, you know, we got to get this done. So I thought it was really interesting showing those parts, but I'm with you. Those parts tended to be kind of the duller aspects where I'm like, all right, let's just, let's get going. These boys are like starving over here. Like, let's get going. But I understand how delicate you had to be when you, this was such a, also story was huge news media at the event. So there's just so much pressure on getting these boys alive that once it came out that they could, or they were intending to, it just totally put, you know, all this pressure on them, which they mentioned in the movie. They're just like, everyone assumed we'd be pulling out dead bodies. And now we have this pressure of like getting everyone back safe in which they did. So I, I did enjoy the movie, as you said, any other thoughts on all 13 lives? Yeah. I just want to want to, I don't think I gave the total amount of days they were in there. So they found them on at the 10 day mark, which was July 2nd. And then they started the rescue on, july 8th of 2018 so they were in there 16 to 18 days because it took three days for them to get all of the kids out because they could only go in with like four at a time so they survived in this cave in darkness for 16 18 days just really courageous uh strong kids and that's got to be such just a brutal experience to go through but it's nice to see they all kind of came out on the other end for sure and i did enjoy the cast too um, I gotta say my favorite Colin Farrell is Irish Colin Farrell, but man, he really can pull off a British accent as well. So I did enjoy, um, watching him do his thing. It was a surprise because I didn't know who was in this film, to be honest. And they kept so popping when I started in like new guys them, like throughout the movie, you're like, yes. oh, they're here. I was oh, like, oh, that here. guy. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So that was a fun kind of surprise as we go through, um, you know, good movie, good recommendation. If you have prime, definitely check it out. All right, shall I get to my film Argo? Okay, so my film Argo came out in 2012. We were mere babes at 22. Um, 
Ben Affleck directed this film famously, uh, written by Chris Terrio, but it is based off of two books. It's based off of The Great Escape, how the CIA used a fake sci-fi flick to rescue Americans from Tehran by Joshua Berman and The Master of Disguise by Antonio Mendez. Um, stars a whole bunch of people. Um, ben Affleck, of course, Brian Craston, Ellen Arkin, John Goodman, my girl Clea Duvall, and from Halt and Catch Fire fame, Scoop McNary and Carrie Bish. Now, I recognize Scott like immediately, um, but I, I was like, wait a minute, is that is that? I did not Donna recognize who- her as the Halt and Catch Fire girl. But- I did not. Oh, yeah. No, immediately I was like, wait a minute. Is that Donna? And I should know Donna arguably more because I cared about her more as a character in Hall and Catch Fire. But she looked different. So I was like, is it? Is it? And it totally was. Then I had to do the math on what came first, Argo or Hall and Catch Fire. And this movie came first. So I don't know. And they play a married couple both in this show and, of course, or this movie, and then, of course, in Halt and Catch Fire. So I just found that so funny. <laughs> and he plays a similar annoying character. So I just found it so funny they were married again in this movie. I think he has that look where he's got to play that kind of annoying yes. character. <laughs> yes. She was um, a badass in Halt and Catch Fire. That's a wreck that everybody can get on. Watch that. It was on Netflix for years i don't know what service it's on now though it's on amc plus now but i think amc joined with insert a streaming here now 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 all of them are starting to join together which is kind of great but also annoying because essentially we're just building our way back to cable but anywho um had a budget of 44.5 million and box office made 232.3 million obviously a smash there has a rotten tomato score of 96 percent it was nominated for seven Academy Awards and won three Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Affleck was not nominated for Best Director for this. He had the support of a lot of people that. in that category, including Bradley Cooper, Seth MacFarlane, um, Quentin Tarantino. But I did read that he had a good sense of humor about it. So he kind of was in this interview and he was acknowledging, kind of feeling frustrated that he didn't get the Oscar nod, but that a lot of people had kind of felt he deserved it. But he goes, I mean, I also didn't get the acting nomination and no one's saying I got snubbed there. So that was pretty funny. (laughs) He does have a good, I mean, he's kind of our favorite sad boy. I think Ben Affleck is kind of how I picture him because he's had a lot of wins, but when he has his lows, like carrying five Dunkin' Donut cups uh, at a time into his house, he's really low and smoking. And there's that whole dragon tattoo on his back. I don't know. He's, he's hit rock bottom quite a few times. Um, but he so, keeps climbing back up. Got, Kayla. Like Jake from survivor, you yes. know, <laughs> Jake, <laughs> you just well, I don't have think that he... win. You think Jake uh, had on his bingo card that he'd get compared to Ben Affleck this week after uh, the finale? Or I don't think so, but they are both from Boston. So actually, now that I think about it, maybe there are. Is it his cousin? Maybe I don't know. We'll have to look into Reach that. Reach out to Jake. See if we can get him on the pod, Kayla. He d- yes, we should absolutely. Um, okay, fun facts. There, I mean, honestly, there were just a lot of like history changes. Obviously, for obvious reasons, they didn't shoot in Iran for this film. Um, they actually shot it in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, Ben Affleck took a lot of liberties with this film. So I will say when it says it's based on a true story, just take it as base. Do not take it as like a lot of the events. Cause I got to say a lot of, it's definitely like an American CIA spotlight for this film. When in reality, I think Canada actually takes a lot of the credit for kind of getting this plan in action. It's the general consensus. Yeah. I think Jimmy Carter, the U S president at the time, even after he saw the movie came out and said, actually Canada was like much more at the forefront of making this happen, like give them more credit. But besides that, he really enjoyed it. So it, you know, it was made for made for TV and it was released to American audiences in the U S so they, they obviously made tweaks, but you know, it gets the overall point across, right? I think 2012 was also that like, we're really, I think there were a lot of like kind of um, nationalism, like just a lot of very like, let's go team America. And I, I feel like that was kind of the, the shine here in this film was kind of, and they, they had kind of throughout, um, but there were just like a lot of story elements that were changed and they, or they just didn't show because this movie kind of gets going right from the beginning. There wasn't a lot of back history on characters. Um, but I mean, for example, like the six people were on the run for like several days before they landed at the um, Canadian, uh, whoever's house. 
Um, and it was between two houses. So they weren't just like hanging out in one house. They were kind of like vo- being volleyed between. So like there was a lot of events that happened before they even got to like a somewhat safe location. Um, cause they just ran through the back door. Um, Rory Chakran is in this film and he started in another film I reviewed for our last movie review, Dazed and Confused, which I had a shout out since we did uh, a review of it not too long ago, which also starred Ben Affleck, just paddling people left and right um okay i'm ready for my plot line let me know when i'm good to go all right kayla three two one in 1979, Iran is facing political corruption and overthrow, and Iranians are getting enraged when President Jimmy Carter gives asylum to the Shah, an absolute monarch and monster. They attack the U.S. Embassy and hold 66 people hostage, where six people escape and take shelter with the Canadian ambassador. The U.S. Department holds meetings to explore who would exfiltrate uh, from Iran. Agent Tony Mendez comes up with a plan for a sci-fi controversy and pretend they're all making a movie. He enlists John Hollywood makeup artist and Lester, a film producer to make a phony company, publicize their plan, set up a practice of developing Argo, Star Wars, like movie minutes, goes around and gives them all cover stories and they go along really they have to drive through an anchor card, get, almost get a fight, many close calls the last minute, they get a plan canceled, minutes goes anyway, it's kind of stupid, kind of smart, because CIA is just scrambled to uncancel it, like plane tickets, uh, they almost get caught at the airport because they're aiming find a photo of one of them, but they are too slow to identify them and they manage to get on the plane to safety, yay. Well done, Kayla, 45 seconds. All right. Um, my thoughts on this film... Um, so I don't know what happened this year. As you know, Oscar films, I do tend to try to see all of them. Uh, the past few years I've been hitting a, a, a hundred percent on that, even though some of them are so difficult to get across. Cause unfortunately where we live is it tend to be kind of the more art house films are released here. Um, 2012 though, I was 22. I mean, let's be real. We were at house parties. I, I think I wasn't totally fixated on the Oscar best pictures at the time. All right, Kayla, I actually have a list of the best picture Oscar nominees of that year. So Argo obviously won. We had Amor, don't even know what that is. Beast of the Southern Wild, okay. Django Unchained, that had a moment. Les Miserables, Kayla. Life of Pi, remember the Life of Pi time? That was like a really cool visual movie back in that day. I never saw it, did you? Oh yeah, Life of Pi, I really enjoyed it. never saw uh, it. It's different, yeah, check it out. Lincoln, which is uh, the Spielberg one with uh, what's his face, who takes uh, acting roles way too seriously, and you know, my left foot. Yeah, no, he 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 told everyone on set that you had to um, call him Mister President, uh, which yeah. was pretty funny. Like famous, I feel like method acting too has really come into play as far as like people's take on them they're either like shitting on it making fun of it or they're like applauding them of course it's daniel day lewis we're talking about so um yeah that was good and silver linings playbook which was a real fun movie that came out at that that time at the time when i watched it i go what a stupid fucking movie that is an example of a movie that as i rewatch it many times i just find a delight, even though Bradley Cooper's character is like extremely hard to take as a person that you'd want to be around at any time. I just think Jennifer Lawrence and her crazy and then his crazy are just so fun to watch. And that scene in particular where she's coming um, to the house after he gets in a fight um, oh, yeah. and she's just <laughs> just going back and forth. The Robert De Niro is some of the best acting from Jennifer Lawrence. And I rewatched that scene many times. Sorry. Continue. All right. Well, this turned into a Silver Linings Playbook uh, movie review. And then <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty. So it's honestly... I love pretty, that movie. Yeah. It's a pretty good uh, category that year. Speed out Zero Dark Thirty, Silver Linings Playbook, Lincoln, Life of Pi, Django Unchained. The other ones I'm not too worried about. But yeah, pretty good year that it won, Kayla. I feel like Lincoln was also like highly, highly talked about. So that does say a lot. Um yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie. I uh, honestly, where I can see how other people would like that it just like hits the ground running. You know me, I like a little like. I, I, how often am I saying sometimes the shows like I wish I had a little more about these characters? And you're just like you don't really get too much from Ben Affleck's character. And I gotta say, like I thought he played a pretty muted hero and i don't know if that like it's just how he interpreted mendez or mendez wrote a whole book so i don't know how how he talked about like his experience and things like that but 
he's the hero, but I just feel like the spotlight was on so many of the other characters. It wasn't really on like him being this like even when he's on the plane they're celebrating, it's barely on him and they just get that like handshake. So I just feel like he I don't know if that comes from directing too, where he's like, I don't want to be the I think yeah, main he guy was, in my own movie, you know? He's the director, so I he must have in his mind been like, I wanna play this kind of a muted, kind of low key, not overacting type role because there's so many other big actors and character actors in this movie like he didn't need to really overshadow anybody and and i think i mean one of his best uh directing performances well his best at one best picture i guess but he hasn't really directed a lot of movies since this one so i wonder why he kind of switched back you know he's had some highs obviously with argo and he's had some lows i feel um where i feel like i was just talking about the not directing, but the um, horrifying movie of Hypnotize. So, <laughs> so bad. You know, he again. He's the Jake. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going on that. He is the Jake kind of. Um, except you know he did have a high and winning best picture. Um, so I will give him that. Um, yeah, it was it was good. I just wish like it moves so quickly. I wish like the rescue part of it. I don't know. Like a lot of it was the the how are we coming to this plan you get a sense kind of of Ben Affleck's character Mendez, but like not really about how he's kind of seen amongst the group. Obviously they weren't taking him seriously at the beginning. Kayla, you can't say you want more and then say you don't want three hour movies. You got to pick a spot Actually, here. I, I would just want to say, I'm not usually the one saying I don't want three hour movies. I'm usually delighted when I get to tell you that we're going to see a three to three and a half hour movie. Um, yeah, I do. I think the pacing of this, you're right. It does go pretty quick, but I think that's kind of what makes it, a really good more rewatchable movie than others because it's like all right we're we're in it right away we're diving mm -hmm. in we don't get too much backstory but we do kind of see the montage uh at the end of them celebrating coming back safely and stuff so which you just gave me a terrible look on that you hate so okay, oh cheesy you, you know me you like hate happiness these... kayla you hate happiness you hate people <laughs> being saved from treacherous situations <laughs> you just hate america that's what i just oh my heard, god kayla. what is happening here <laughs> wait wait throw, someone's coming through my door right now um wait wait um yeah no no just cheesy i i, I like montages just kind of like hit that cheesy bone in me that shudders a little bit um but i was happy for them i, I was a little worried that they were going to start shooting the plane at one point which i did find out was not true they didn't get chased kind of as the plane was taking off thank goodness um that was intense i do love the intense moments where you're like how are they gonna get out of this i almost wish they had a couple more um, but, you know, I guess that didn't really occur. And I thought like the movie part of it would be a little more like how they like how they were in Iran with that, I guess, if that makes sense. Like a lot of it was like the building it on the U.S. side. And then once they got there, they're like, this is your role. And we're just going from here to here in one day. I kind of thought like they would. I thought they had to perform a little more, if that makes sense. Like I thought they almost had to like pretend to shoot or something. I didn't realize it was like the stories to get you out the next day. So, I mean, obviously that's, you want urgency with this, but in my mind, I kind of thought they had to like have these roles a little longer, like try to pretend to be a director for a little longer than they had to. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, there were some lines that were really funny too. Um, if I'm doing a fake movie, it's going to be a fake hit. I feel like that would be me. If I was like having to write something or 100%. do something, <laughs> I'm like, Oh no, I don't care that this is like purely to save lives. Um, I'm going to do a really good fake movie. Um, there was a line that says, uh, they're like on a film set. So it was like, um, a character, you know, an actor, an actor playing and he goes, um, he says the minotaur prosthetic is too tight. So he can't act. If he could act, he wouldn't be playing the minotaur. I mean, that's just great. Um, Carter said you were an American, a great American. What he didn't say, I mean, just there are a lot of like good lines in this. Yeah. Even like, funny. uh, I think it was Ben Affleck's character where he's like bicycles. That's what you have. We have bicycles as you're planning to get out of here. Like what? And then yeah. I love the, uh, I love the scene. And this is the scene that just sticks out the most in my mind. Cause I did not do a full rewatch for the podcast here was when, uh, he's trying to drill all the people about their backstories, like these fake backstories. He's like, what's your middle name? What's your middle name? What's your middle name? Kill him. Shoot him. Dead. You're dead. No, and he's just like hard coaching. I'm like, go, 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 go. Give me it under duress. Can you remember all this information that you need to memorize? And what was it? 12 hours a day yeah. or two days? Like it was a quick turnaround time. 
Now, you hate to perform. If you were one of the six and were told you had to have a whole backstory and start performing as that instantly, do you think you'd start to wonder if you get shot on the spot? Or do you think under pressure you could get it done? Wow, Kayla. Uh, uh-huh. that, that sounds like a good friendship question of the week. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. How do you put yourself in that situation? If I have a I, gun in my I face and I'm asked to recite a fake story, I don't You're know. already panic sweating at the mere, at the mere thought. I'd probably I just get shot. It, I'd probably I just find get it shot, so Kayla. funny because whenever we've had to play like some sort of board game over our years and you have to do some sort of acting or like an instant like time, like you have to do this now, you you instantly start collapsing. So I think I would have, if I was like in the group of the six and I would immediately look to you and I'd be like, we're practicing like tonight. We're not going to bed because <laughs> I'm like, I'm worried you're going to take us down. So if you're the associate producer, like fucking know your role, I'd be the one going middle name, middle name. <laughs> That is fair, and I would need uh-huh. that type of coaching, but I do hate like hate doing accents, hate like having to act or perform yeah. on the spot. It's just not what I do well. So that would I would have been in a real tough spot there, Kayla. Well, everybody I, would have been in a real tough spot everyone, there. I mean, just, everyone would have been in a tight spot, Justin. <laughs> I feel like I would have been doing the most. I would have been like, but what's my history what trauma have i been through that i can kind of carry on do i have for this role do you i, I understand i'm the script writer but like where where's the sense of story can i make some edits um yeah so <laughs> we have the two different sides um yeah this is a really good movie i totally see why it won best picture i feel like i almost got to watch a couple more in that group to kind of give a picture but um it was good it was a really good film i i think ben affleck you know, told a really good story. He, I hope he does make more films. I hope he makes more films like this. And like the, he, he did the town, right? Did he direct the town? I believe. Yeah. I believe he directed the town as well. But, uh, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to fact check that. Um, I, Cause I love the town. Like, I guess if I'm looking across his films, he's directed. If he did do the town, um, I'm, I'm like the town rocked. He did direct the town and, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's just a banger. <laughs> yeah, the town fucking rocked. And that is a movie that goes bam, bam, bam. Like establishes them as this like group and and hits the ground running as far as like his romance and all that stuff. I think it's just because this was based on a true story. Like I was interested in the dynamics a little more than I think we got because it was so much like we need them out next day. Right. And they kind of skipped the like survival aspects of the first few days in lieu of trying to say how we got this plan going and how we actually got them out that day. I personally like a little more of the, the nitty grittiness of, yeah, you know, you like the, what they the went backstory. Through. You want the motivations. Yeah. You kind of want all the inner workings. I hear you, Kayla. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. It's nice to, nice to feel seen at the end of the year. Um, yeah. So that is my kind of review of Argo. Shall we go into our rating system or five VHS tapes? Go ahead, Justin. Sure thing. I gave 13 lives three VHS tapes. I couldn't give it. It was just long. And after Mm -hmm. a certain point, it's like, all right, they're diving in, they're out, they're diving back in. All right. The political who's going to approve this mission. I was like, let's cut half an hour out of this thing. Let's, (laughs) let's get to the chunk of it. Basically the opposite of what you said about Argo is what I wanted out of 13. Yeah. Well, and and that is often what we're looking differently in movies. I will say is like, I want a little more of that. And you're like, let's just get to it. Um, Okay, I'm going to give Argo three and a half VHS tapes. Okay, that's a little lower than I thought you'd go, Kayla. I thought it'd at least be in the fours. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, it's not like I can particularly say like this was just outrageous. I didn't really care for this. I think just kind of how the story went along, I was looking for different parts than I got, I guess is what I'd say. So I think we also are getting more and more pickier about our rating system the more and more podcasts we do. because we'll find something that's like really great and we're like "Hmm, four and a half i don't know is it five five really has to like wow me to like unprecedented levels and we should be a little bit more lax with that we should just be like five is just an awesome movie that i'm excited to rewatch over and over again you know yes yes let's table that for sure um what what kind of gets our five vhs tapes because we we don't really pick those too much on the pod but i'm sure we have them as i know um, all right, let's go ahead and get to our Swarly of the Week. All right, so my Swarly of the Week is going to be <laughs> um, Ticketmaster and just like the ticket system in 2023. Um, I got to, even though you're hearing this in 2024, so I'm sure it's going to say the same in the week that we are in the new year. 
I just think it's garbage. I just think I don't understand why we have such a ticketing problem. I recently had to get tickets and I haven't for a bit. And the way the system worked, I think it was Ticketmaster. I had to go through a Live Nation. I think they're one and the same. It was like a general where once you get into the ticketing system, you just click on seats. And all I did is watch watch the seats disappear instantly because everyone was kind of sharing this seated screen. So you kind of saw the layout of the place and you'd click a seat and you'd try to add it. And it would be like, this seat's gone. You'd see another one of them. You'd click it. It's gone. And all I did was watch them just like the lights go out one by one. And there's nothing I could do. I tried to go even further like to a seated and it would disappear. So I go, this is broken. How am I getting in a wait in a queue and I get in, but I'm still like at the same time in real time vying for seats with people. Like there's no kind of like pause on anything. And I'm just like, it's broken. The system is broken and garbage. And these bots are buying it because they're instantly on sale at these third party sites instantly, no matter what people do, even the artists are starting to kind of go through their own ticketing system. Cause they're like, I my tickets are thirty dollars, and you guys all have to pay two hundred dollars to get like a general lawn seating. So I just I don't know why we can't figure it out. Is technology just so advanced this way that bots go in? I don't know, but like, what's the point of me remembering all these passwords, having my card out, all of this? If like it's the same result no matter what, you know? Yeah, I when I got the taylor swift tickets for vienna it went through a uh, a european comp like Ticketmaster version oe ticket oe ticket however they pronounce it and i think that was a little a little better for large scale like concerts and stuff because you basically picked a category like do i want floor seats do i want the most expensive and then it was like a b c d or e like so do you want the closest versus the furthest away and then different price ranges and you just click the category. So you'd be like 100 series, $200, $100, $50, 25. You click it with the number of tickets and then it'll show you all of, uh, be like, okay, if you want four tickets, we're just going to get you four tickets in that row next to each other. If not, here's an alternative. So it was a little bit easier to, to manipulate than Ticketmaster. The issue with that is you don't get to pick your specific seats, right? It's very much like you get to pick a general area and based on the pricing, you have a good idea where you're going to sit. But if you're like, I really want to be front row, uh, you know, 101, then that it doesn't quite operate that way. But I thought that was kind of an interesting alternative. There's something. It's just like someone figured out, like someone just figure out a system where they're not trying to take all of your fees, doubling your price just in terms of buying them online. I mean, I don't know what it is, obviously, but it's just so frustrating because you want to celebrate artists. You want to see things. You want to get things for other people. And it just like sucks the soul out of you when you're just trying to get these and you don't even get close. I mean, it was so disappointing to try to go through this process i remember with it when i went to see adele like getting those tickets it was like i was at work and i was like don't talk to me between these times i had my card out i had like four different browsers my phone like it it was like i was fucking in a cia mission like it was so <laughs> and it's so ridiculous to do that for tickets you know and that was adele like you know this is someone that's coming here local and i just was like this is so this fucking sucks so that's my swirly figured out good swarly kayla my swarly is uh i don't think too far off i'm just going technology for my swarly of the week this week i just have been at my wits end this week i've been working a lot of hours i have a, a great team i've been working with that has been just working really late nights and i was trying to get something out the door friday december 22nd i was supposed to go to dinner at uh my in-laws and then we're going to see a christmas carol play at a Syracuse stage, which by the way, awesome. Check it out if you haven't, but I'm trying to get all this stuff packaged up in like some minor tweaks before I send it out. And I'm like, okay, four o'clock should be fine. Five o'clock should be fine. Six o'clock should be fine. I've already missed dinner at this point. And I'm like going in to try to make last minute. It'll take me 10 seconds once I get into the file to edit it. And then my AutoCAD just starts crashing. It like won't open up. It's freezing up on me. I'm like, what the hell? I have a brand new laptop. Why is this not working? So I have to get somebody else in to help me make these edits. So that takes longer. And then we finally get through all the edits. I'm compiling the PDFs. We use Bluebeam, which I love using Bluebeam for like PDF editor. And I'm compiling them. 
I think I'm done. I'm getting ready to click send. I do a, a last look through. It gets corrupted. Some of the files aren't there. Some aren't showing up right. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I can't save and compile a damn package of documents here. Like this is the most basic thing. And then finally, like after like the third go around, I got it all in, got it out the door at like seven o'clock or right before. And we rushed. Uh, my wife came to pick me back up from dinner to get to Syracuse stage for the show. But it was the whole last hour was just all delayed because of technology issues. And I was just I was actually past the point of frustration where I'd be like, I want to throw my laptop out the window. I was to the point of just full defeatedness. I was Jake, essentially. And I was just like, just bring Jake back up. And I was like, I I just what am I going to do? I'm just going to laugh at it at this point, because this is the third time in the row I've tried to do the simplest of tasks and everything crashes on me. WTF, Kayla, technology, my swirly of the week. I would like to dedicate our episode to Jake from Survivor because 100%. he clearly has made an imprint on us. We will be saying we're Jake enough. You know, he is the new Ken. Um, I think just just great for Jake, for Jake. Um, that's great. All right. I'm with you, though. Technology sucks. Fucking figure it out. Technology. Okay. Our friendship question of the week is we're thinking about these rescue movies. We're thinking about how absurd we've seen them from like the San Andreas fault's going to ruin the world to obviously real world stuff. I think about it a lot as I just become more and more pessimistic on the state of the world. As you're saying, when, when you were <laughs> yeah, referencing course, earlier yep. about like just wanting a movie that's like intense, but like has a good ending because you're desperate for like some sort of global happiness i'm like yes absolutely you're right i didn't know that's what i was looking for in this movie but i'm glad i got it um but i'm constantly going like what happens if this happens or or that goes down what am i doing so justin do you have you thought about your exit plan if if a san andreas event type like happened or you had to get out who you're grabbing where you're going is that a thought in your head or are you just like eh, i'll figure it out when it happens well, it really depends on the type of situation. San Andreas is an earthquake scenario, yep. right? So I'm trying to get, you know, inland as tomorrow. much as possible. Yeah. Day after <laughs> day after tomorrow, we're, oh man, that you got to get south. It's tough. I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like, you know what I would do? I feel like I would what? just pack up stuff with like my very close uh, family and be like, we're just going to drive into the middle of nowhere in the woods somewhere and try to find an empty cabin and figure it out from there. <laughs> to find you know it? I, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I do. I'd that's be like, I look on Airbnb. Are there ones that are open right now? <laughs> cool. Nobody's booked there. Nobody's going to be booking because the world's about to fall apart. I'm going to go find that spot and uh, hope nobody shows up, Kayla. And hopefully the original Airbnb people are yeah. like, let's go to our cabin we rent out. We'll figure it out, <laughs> Kayla. No big deal. I don't oh, have like great. a war chest of guns or, or no. anything or a whole bunch of supplies in my basement. So I'm not one of those doomsday preppers. So you know, maybe I need to uh, align myself with a Kayla or one of these other preppers. <laughs> yeah. that, uh... No, no. I see. I don't have, I don't act. I'm not good at the actual, like, d like gaining all the things you would need to survive. I'm more at the anxiety level of constantly worrying about it and stressing out about it than the actual, like getting things to help you, uh, to make you feel safe and secure. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I grab my family because listen, Varying levels of success. I mean, my dad, I feel like I have a better chance definitely with my dad. Sorry, mom, and my sister, Tia. But I mean, my dad has been through some shit. So <laughs> I'm sure all that like army stuff's in his brain is coming out. Um, but I just think like if you got, I mean, not to be like super sad, but like if you got to go out, you want to be with the people you care about, you love, you know. Um, but it's every person for themselves. I'm fresh off of seeing Leave the World Behind on Netflix, the movie Julia Roberts. I still have to watch it. Don't ruin it for me, Kayla. You still have to watch it. So, like, I'm just in that mindset of, like, what if technology even, like you said, goes down? What are we going to do is what I'll say. And so I, I, I kind of be the same thing. You're just trying to go somewhere. Um, not here, though. I think I'm definitely going rural because I'm just, like, at least yeah. there's, you know. I, I used to when I was younger, like, back when we had Sam's Club still here. Um, I'd be like, I'm going to Sam's Club. They have all the quantity at Costco. I mean, like, I'm going there. I'm sure everyone has that idea. And just blockade <laughs> the doors. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Resident Evil style. So that's always been, like, where I thought, like, I'm going to the most plentiful place, you know, with the best chance of surviving. It has me thinking of one of our favorites, Station Eleven, where they go yes. and they load up on the groceries quick, and then they just lock themselves in a room. That's probably... It depends on the type of situation, right? If it's something where it's an earthquake and you're in a high rise, that's not the safest. I would 100% bring my dogs with me and it would be like, we're going to run into a store. 
we're not paying if it's like doomsday scenario. We're just loading up a whole bunch of stuff, throwing it in the trunk, whatever we can get like in as quick a fashion as we can. Whoever that I'm kind of grouped with close family, if you're not here by this time, you get like a two minute window, then we're fucking out the door. Like me, my wife, our family, our dogs, we're priority. You guys catch up later on and then see ya. There's no waiting around. There's no going into the city to try to steal shit like some of these folks. It's just get some major supplies and get the hell out of Dodge. Absolutely. I think it's fitting that we're saying this on this episode today since it's coming out on the first of the year. So hopefully, uh, you know, the world's still standing uh, today and who knows what 2024 will bring, but it sounds like we have some sort of plan. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what's standing here. All right. Rescue movies done. Go check out Argo. Please check out 13 lives on prime. Um, I think that wraps it up for our episode today. Have a happy New Year's, and we'll see you in two weeks because we're taking next week off, baby. We need some rest, as we said. So have a great day. Well, that's it for this episode of Wrong Opinions Only. Please follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes. Until then, JK out.